The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body supplying the much needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Welcome back, everyone. We are taking a walk through Acts. We are trying to answer a question. And the question was, in a nutshell, did the disciples already receive the Spirit, as is argued, using John chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, which I will read and says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whoever sins ye retain, they are retained. This was before the day of Pentecost. This was before Jesus had ascended into the heavens. And if not, if it is not the case that they received the Holy Ghost then, can we, in the scriptures, identify where and when they actually did? Is there some explicit evidence of record that can answer that question for us. And so that's why we're taking a walk through Acts. So we're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to do it one verse at a time, and we're going to start with Deborah and go clockwise. Acts was written by Luke. Luke obviously also wrote Luke, the gospel. And he had a particular brother in mind, Theophilus, that I guess wanted to understand what were the early beginnings and record of the church. And so he wrote to Theophilus Acts so that he can share with them the early church history. And so this is how Acts chapter 1 begins. Former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given command to the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? 
verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons in which the Father has put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and all of Samaria, and unto all the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of their sight. So in this introduction to Theophilus, we see Jesus is continually teaching his disciples, even during the 40 days after his resurrection, Verse 2 states that he, through the Holy Spirit, is commanding them to do certain things. Not suggesting, not, not a... No, he's commanding them. And this is in no doubt in reference to the commandments that we read at the end of the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Remember, we read that last time we were together. And we were looking at what were the exact words that Jesus was saying. Let's look at all three accounts because they're all parallel passages. So there is a summary there of the, of the things that he was saying. And so that's obviously what Luke is talking about because Luke was one of those records of what Jesus said before he ascended to the uh, disciples. In verse 4 and 5, he emphasizes again the command. Which command? The, man, the command that we saw in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Do not leave Jerusalem until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it's now emphasized again in a fourth letter, Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts all saying this emphasis, do not leave Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. Wait until you be endued with power from on high. Because the promise had not yet been poured out. It seems clear that the whole reason he's telling them to go to Jerusalem is not because they have the Holy Ghost, it's because they need the Holy Ghost. And he's telling them where and when to get it. Well, he didn't say when, he said where. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Receive the promise of the Father, which is what Luke recorded in chapter 24, verse 4. So then he is asked by the disciples, if he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time, are, are we waiting for you to restore the kingdom at, at right now? And still the disciples were thinking he was setting up an earthly kingdom. Again, we're trying to answer the question, do these people have the Holy Ghost yet? And we said last week, well, when, if we go by that scripture in John 20 that they had the Holy Ghost, why did they go back fishing? Why were they not about the Father's business? Why do they still think he's going to set up an earthly kingdom? But Jesus said to them, listen, it's not for you to know the time. Wait and receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and be you become my witnesses. You see, they have something in mind. They have a certain perspective in mind of expectation. And Jesus keeps turning them back turning them back, correcting their thinking, and saying, will you just wait in Jerusalem and receive the promise of the Father? Will you just, just... That's his focus. Jesus is focused on they need to receive the Holy Ghost. So first, power must come by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
And then what happens? When they receive that power, they can become what? Witnesses. That's when they become witnesses of Jesus. Had they witnessed everything that he had done in those three and a half years? Yes, they wrote letters about him. But the witnesses that Jesus is talking about only comes by the Holy Ghost. So when they receive power, then they can become witnesses to all the world, carrying out his commands that were recorded at the end of the Gospels that we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's what's popularly known as the Great Commission for the body of Christ. And so these nine verses that we just read in Acts chapter 1 tie in to the four Gospels or the three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that talked about what did Jesus tell the disciples before he ascended. And so they, they, it kind of continues without break into Acts. It's great that Luke did this. It's great that God did this. Because we could have just ended with he ascended. And then what happened? No, no. God had a purpose in giving us the book of Acts. He wanted us to show us what happened after I told my disciples what to do. Let's look at what they did. And that's why we're going through the book of Acts and we're taking this walk. So we see that the disciples did obey because they met in the upper loft in Jerusalem. They were continuing, it says, and if you read continuing on in the book of Acts, they were continuing in unanimity, in prayer, and petition. They named some people that were there that were pretty uh, important people. Who was there? Does anybody know? If you read the book of Acts, who was there that they named specifically? Mary. Mary? Who, which Mary? Magdalene? Mary, his mother. Mary, his mother. Even Jesus' mother was there. And who else was there? It names them. Peter, the disciples. Who else was there? Matthew, Bartholomew, who else was there? Simon. It has to do with Mary. Her sister. No, Mary's children were there. His Jesus' half-brothers, if you will, they were there. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. The brothers were there. The disciples were there. And we, we tend to think, oh, the twelve disciples, the twelve No, there were more. There were at least eleven that were named Judas killed himself, but there were more. There were others that were following Jesus. They were also disciples. And it says approximately 120 of them were there. So I would think that based upon what we've just read, considering all of this evidence of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and this emphasis that Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away, I'm going to go away, all throughout the book of John, I'm going to go away, but if I go away, I'm going to send you the comforter, da-da-da-da-da, and, and now he's gone, he's ascended, they go to Jerusalem. Are they believers? Yes. Absolutely, they are believers in Christ. Do they have the Holy Ghost? It doesn't seem like it, because the whole reason he's telling them, go to Jerusalem, is to receive the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Ghost. Power. So it seems like they're believers, but they don't have the Spirit yet. That's what they were waiting for. That's what they were sent for. So we see Peter comes up with the idea that they need to replace. We read the book of Acts, chapter 1 and 2, or actually 1. I'm really in chapter 1, kind of summarizing it. Uh, Peter comes up with the idea. Mm, I think we need to replace our fallen disciples. So, they start casting lots. 
you know, like casting lots is like picking straws, whoever gets the longest straw, something like that. And so they cast lots and, and they prayed to the Father while they were casting lots. They don't have the Spirit. And then Matthias was chosen, or Matthias was chosen by casting lots. Not because they heard the Lord, they prayed, but it was chosen because they were casting lots. So I'd like to make two points about that. After this point in Scripture, in Acts chapter 1, we never see the disciples casting lots again. You can go ahead and verify that. After this point in Acts chapter 1, you can read Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, all the way through to Revelation. And never is it ever recorded that the disciples ever cast lots. What we do see is the apostles, the elders in the church in the different cities, or the church gather together to pray, and we see the Holy Spirit commanding by word and witness agreement amongst those that were praying of what it is that they need to do when they need to make their decisions. We see that when you read Acts. And a second point I want to make. Matthias is never heard from again. Now, I'm not just saying that they did something wrong. They did what they knew in the moment that they knew with 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 the resources that they had. They felt like they needed to complete themselves, the 12 apostles. And so they came up with the idea, let's cast lots, let's get a replacement. We've got a lot of disciples here, but let's choose one. So when I pause at this point, and I think about this question that I'm trying to answer, are we to believe that the disciples at this point in time, right here in Acts chapter 1, that they've already received the Spirit because of what we read in John chapter 20 when he breathed on them? If I read verse 10 and 11 in Acts chapter 1, I see that the angels had to interrupt the disciples. Anybody know what they were doing? Anybody know what the angels had said to the disciples when they, they were looking at Jesus ascending into the heavens? Anybody know? Can anybody find it? Because it'd be good to read. Jesus had given them all these commandments. It was the day that he was going to ascend into heaven and he starts ascending into the clouds and they're all looking at him. They're all staring at him. And then an angel talks to them. Yeah. They were just staring and they're like, okay, he's coming back. When is he coming back? You know, where is he? And an angel had to interrupt them and say, hello. Go on about what he said to do. And so they, they they eventually do. They go to Jerusalem. And Peter comes up with the idea to cast lots to replace the disciple. But I remember what Jesus said in the book of John about the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Father, the blessing of Abraham, the gift of God. He said that when he comes, he's going to teach you He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. He's going to teach you all things. Well, how come the disciples seem to be unaware? They seem to be disoriented. 
at this particular time. They seem to not be led of the Holy Ghost. They seem to not be being taught by the Holy Ghost. Uh, and it's just, uh, an angel had to talk to them. So they were simply told by Jesus before he ascended, wait for the baptism of the Spirit in Jerusalem. Now perhaps in their flesh, maybe they got ahead of Jesus at that moment when they said we need to replace a disciple. Did he say to them to replace the disciple? He didn't really tell them to do that. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. So I look at all of this record and I see how God is so... And he did this in the Old Covenant. God was not the type of God that only records good things. He recorded the good, the bad, and the ugly. All of it was recorded. So he recorded this. This is what the disciples did. So now we come to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. I think it ended with you, so I'll read the first verse. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 6. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. And they were filled all with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were born at Jerusalem Jews and devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. As far as I'm concerned, based upon what I've read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, there seems to be no question that they received the gift of the Holy Ghost right there. That to me is explicit. It's not ambiguous in meaning that like it's shrouded in some sort of mystery or, or it's like in a riddle. I mean, it clearly says, clearly, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who? Those disciples that he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Not only did Jesus tell them what to do and what was going to happen, here we clearly see it happened just as Jesus said it would happen. So to me, this is what we call a precedent. This is the first time that this has ever happened in scriptures. We've seen the Holy Spirit fall upon uh, saints in the Old Covenant. And then they were able to do miraculous, powerful things in the name of the Lord. And then they were normal again. Kind of like Samson, uh, the judges. Uh, the anointing was on David. Uh, the anointing was even on Saul. What happened when the anointing, you know, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul? What did he do? Prophesy. <laughs> he went crazy. No, he didn't go crazy. He started prophesying like the oh, prophets. No, 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 I mean, I, oh, never mind. You, you understand, exactly. understand my question? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's okay. I mean, I, I would say, you know, that's Holy Spirit. Yeah. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he started going crazy and wanted to, wanted to murder David. 
No, but what I was saying was we saw the Spirit of the Lord fall upon, fall upon, fall upon. We saw the Spirit of the Lord fall upon the elders with Moses. And they all began to prophesy. And, and like maybe one or two of them were out the camp and the rest were in the camp. It's like, oh, wow, this is incredible. You know, we've seen the Holy Spirit fall, fall upon. But right now, we now see the Holy Spirit fill up like a cup that was empty. Now filling them with His Spirit. And, and, it's, and, and it's in the hearts of them. And now they're speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you read that and you stop there and you're like, wow, that's weird. That's never happened before. But not just there, correct? I mean, it happened. If we keep reading down, it's... It well, right. We're, we're only right here. We're yeah. only on Acts chapter 2, 1 through 6. So at okay. this point, I'm just stopping to say, hey, wow, this is very significant. This is explicitly detailing they just received the Holy Ghost. It's not ambiguous as the other one. And the other one, we saw how it doesn't make sense for them to have received it, because if they had received it, why is he telling them to go to Jerusalem to receive it? It just doesn't make sense. Okay? So, they were now all filled with the Holy Ghost. They're now believers with the Spirit. This is the demarcation point. This is why Pentecost is so significant. Pentecost was the day that he poured out his Spirit upon all flesh in a way that he's never done before. Now, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit of Jesus. They start to speak in other tongues as he, the Spirit of Jesus, is giving them utterance. And they speak, as we read in Acts chapter 2, again, I'm not reading all of it, just the, the main components, they start speaking in 12 different dialects. 12 different languages. You just read a few verses down and you can count the languages. And there were 12. And they are readily identified. They're recorded in the scriptures. 12 different languages. And they're noticed by the surrounding melting pot of ethnicities that were in the immediate area. Because remember, this is a feast. The Feast of Pentecost is a major feast for the Jews. Wherever they are abroad, when there's a feast of Passover, unleavened bread, uh, feast of uh, first fruits, feast of Pentecost, they all come from wherever they are living and they come to Jerusalem because that's where they're told to uh, celebrate these feasts. So these Jews that are in Jerusalem right now, they lived in different areas. They knew different languages. They didn't just know Hebrew. They were living in other areas. And so they recognized because the Jews were the ones in Jerusalem, not strangers or foreigners. The Jews were the ones in Jerusalem, and they recognized, hey, he's speaking in that, I, I know that language, that, that's not Hebrew. And, and they named what the languages were. Did I count wrong? I don't know, did they say 12? I said 12. 9 and 10, I think it was. So, they speak, when they hear the languages, they're speaking the magnificence of God in their language. Um, that's not originally their own. And then they're accused of being what? Drunk. So not only are they doing something vocally that seems real strange, how do you know my language? I live way over yonder and, and you're speaking that language. But then you also look kind of like you're drunk. Now what time was it? Anybody know? Third, third, hour. third hour, which is 9 a.m. in the morning. 9 a.m. in the morning. They thought these people were drunk. 
speaking a completely different language, not originally their own. And so they looked a little kooky to the Jews that were there come to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. But Peter stands up right then and there, and he takes the opportunity to preach the gospel of the kingdom for the first time under the new covenant. And he explains to all those that were wondering what in the world is going on. Number one, how are they speaking my language from my you know country way back there? And why do they look like they're drunk? And so he has to kind of, hey, wait, 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 wait. Peter's like, wait, 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 wait. We're not drunk. Because he doesn't obviously want him to, to, to give the Lord a, a bad name or reputation. Let me explain to you what just happened. And so he begins to explain that this here that they are now seeing and hearing is a prophecy fulfilled of the pouring out of the Spirit upon all flesh. And who does he quote? What prophet does Joel. he quote? He quotes Joel. Now remember, we already went through a series that said we are built upon the foundation of the who and who? Apostles and the prophets. That's why it's so important that you connect the two. They should not be separated, Old Covenant, New Covenant. What the prophets said of old is just as, as binding and as true and as valid as what the apostles said, and they agree. They, they, they just join together like a glove, like a hand in a glove. They just join together perfectly. And so he brings in how the prophet Joel spoke of this, and then he preaches about Jesus. He preaches about his life. He preaches about his death. He preaches about his burial and his resurrection and how God himself, overcoming death, has made this man, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. That's interesting the way it says that. What does it mean he made him both Lord and Christ? God made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Well, Lord refers to deity. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of all. They always knew the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord of hosts. There's only, Hero Israel, Shema. What does it say? Hero Israel. The Lord, your God, is one, what? Lord. Well, here Peter is saying that God made Jesus, this man, both Lord, the one Lord, and Christ. What does it mean, Christ? Anybody remember what Christ means? Christ is the Greek translation. Messiah is the Hebrew translation. But what does the word mean? Anointed one. He was the anointed man. So he's both Lord and the anointed man. Fully indwelt by God. We read that in John chapter 3. That the spirit of God was given to him. Meaning the man Jesus without measure. Without limitation. So now Jesus is exalted. He's seated at the right hand of God. Glorified. And now they have received the spirit. The promise of the father. This is what Peter explained, is what they now see in here. Again, very explicit. It's not ambiguous. It's not a mystery as to what just happened. Not only do you have it recorded what happened, you have an apostle that everyone looks up to, not just back then, but even today, 2,000 years later, everybody looks up to Peter. Well, he's explaining exactly what just took place. So the message to me of the gospel is quite clear. The gospel is, identify who Jesus is. Talk about his life, his death, 
his burial, and his resurrection, and what he afforded to us by doing that. If you just look at what Peter had said, and it's, a, it's, a, it's about 12, 15 verses, he explains who Jesus was, what was his life about, and how was he connected to God, and, and it culminates with, he's been made both Lord and Christ. Wow, everything is there. Talks about his death, his burial, and his resurrection as well. And so when that message is preached and pierces the heart of people and they ask then and there, what shall we do? What do we do about the fact that we crucified the Lord of glory, the one that had been promised to us for hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of years? Well, the answer could not be laid out more clearly than what Peter said. Let's also remember that Peter was given the keys to what? kingdom of heaven. It was to Peter he had given the keys to the kingdom of heaven and all those thereafter that preached the same gospel used these keys. And the keys to the gospel of the kingdom is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So when they said what shall we do, what did Peter say to them? He answered them and stated, number one, y'all know, repent. That's regarding his death. Number two, he said, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. This is all in Acts chapter 238. And receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. These are three keys that are witnesses in the earth. Now that's another figure of speech that, that is used in the scriptures. Witnesses in the earth. So let's read where I get that from. 1 John 5 verse 7. Whoever gets there first, what are the witnesses, or what is uh, the witness in the earth? In 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in the heavens, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Okay, that's in the heaven, so I gave you the wrong verse, but that's in the heaven. Remember I told you when we cast the shadow? Alright? The shadow is not the substance of the person. What's in heaven is the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. They're casting a shadow on the earth, but it says, what, what did it say? What did it culminate them saying? That they are one. one. So now let's read 1 John 5 8, because this is the witness in the earth. What does it say? Now, who wrote that? John the Apostle. John the Apostle wrote 1 John 5, 7. John the Apostle was there when Jesus died. He saw him die on the cross. John was there when he ran with Peter to see the empty tomb. John was there as a witness during the 40 days after the resurrection, seeing Jesus with many infallible proofs. John was there when he ascended. And John was there when they all received the gift of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. John was there. And John says that there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three are one. Notice, it does not say witnesses. It does not use a plural word for it. It says the witness in the earth is the Spirit, the water, and the blood. We count those, but he says these three are one. Therefore, 
They are indivisible. And that was one, and I'll tell you honestly, that was one of my, early on in my faith walk, that was one of my issues in my carnal thinking. If there are three, I said, well, what if you did one? Or what if you only did two? I, I was, I guess I was trying to figure out, can you kind of, kind of, can you kind of cut corners? Because is there a shortcut? But when you read the scriptures, it says, no, these three are one. And I said, how do I understand that? How do I make sense of that? And I don't remember where I got this idea from, but have you guys ever um, had a combination lock that you had to turn it? Sure. How many numbers does it take to open the lock? Three, four. Three. Excuse you? Three. <laughs> it takes three. It took us three 20, 30 years ago. And the same ones today take three numbers. So here's the deal. If you only have two of the numbers right, is it going to open? If you have one of the numbers right, is it going to open? No, you got to have all three to unlock it. And so that's how I think of this. Well, can I just repent? <laughs> no, because that leads to the next uh, fruit of repentance, which is baptism. And then it leads to, well, God has to put a stamp of approval on my life by giving me the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I need the gift of the Holy Ghost. I can't go without the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't go without Jesus in my heart. I have to have Jesus in my heart so that I can walk out this faith walk correctly. You need the three numbers to open up the combination lock. One will not open and neither will two, but the three numbers together will undoubtedly open the lock. And what is the lock we're trying to you know, use as a metaphor here? It's salvation. It's coming into covenant. With Christ, you must obey the gospel. And in order to obey, Peter said, repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, the listeners who trusted and obeyed the apostolic message, it says in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2, a little bit later on, that there were approximately 3,000 people that heard what Peter said and came into the kingdom. Now, does it make sense for 3,000 people to have just listened to Peter answer the question, what do we do about having crucified the promised one, our Messiah, the Lord of glory? Would it make any sense for those 3,000 to only obey him on one aspect? Or just two? No, if he's, if he's answering their question, it's a pretty simple question. What do we do to fix this? And he tells them flat out, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. Why would they only do one? Why would they only do two? Why would they only do three? It doesn't make any sense. You would, we would have to safely assume that they obeyed what Peter just told them to do. They must have repented, the 3,000, been baptized in his name, and received the Holy Ghost exactly as Peter commanded them to. So they also spoke in tongues when taking the Spirit, or receiving the Spirit. But you know what? That's an assumption. I, I flat out tell you, that's an assumption. I just don't think it makes any sense for 3,000 people to ask him, what do we do about this, for Peter to tell them exactly what to do, and then for them to only do one. It just doesn't make sense to me. Or two. I will flat out say that that is an assumption, but I think it's a logical assumption to conclude. But you know what? Let's not stop there. Let's not do what so many in this world of Christianity do. Take one piece of scripture and then make a whole doctrine out of it. If it's true what we are assuming, then can we have it confirmed by other parts of Scripture so that we can say it's a pretty safe assumption? Okay? 
So after this point, we see Mark chapter 16, 20 fulfilled. What does it say in Mark chapter 16, 20? It says, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. You remember back in Mark when we read about what were those signs that followed them that believed? Do you remember that? Also remember what the apostles did from here on out could not have been done lest they waited in Jerusalem to receive the Holy Spirit. Because at that point, they weren't doing anything. They went back to fishing. Okay? So it makes sense that as soon as they received the promise of the Father, woo, everything changed. They turned everything upside down. They were being persecuted by all the Jews that were still in Jerusalem. And then within 10 years later, they it opened up to the Gentiles. But you know what? I remember it said, it starts in Jerusalem, then it goes to, which is now surrounding Jerusalem, and then it goes where? To Sumeria, which is a region outside of, of Judea, and then it goes into all the parts of the world. Isn't that exactly what we know we've seen, even though we're taking a walk through Acts as if we hadn't seen it? But that's exactly what took place, just like Jesus said it would. So it is by the Spirit that Jesus works together with his body to confirm the word that they speak with signs. What are those signs? Healing, deliverance. Remember it said speaking in tongues? Remember that was one of the signs of them that believed? One of them was not only just healing or casting out, but it's speaking in tongues. And prophesying. That was some of the signs that were listed, just to name a few. And so we see it fulfilled. Acts chapter 1, 2 is telling us, wow, it did happen. And so we can go to Acts chapter 3, verse 6, and we see Peter, he commands a man who was lame to rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Then Peter gives the second recorded gospel message. And I want you to notice as we read the scriptures here, it's going to be uh, about seven or eight verses in Acts chapter 3, 12 through 19. I want you to notice that when we read this account, Peter does not quote himself word for word as we read in Acts chapter 2. But we do see that he preaches almost the same model. And what was the model that I mentioned previously? What is the gospel? It's about Jesus. It's about his life. Who he was. His death, his birth, and his resurrection. That's the gospel. And we, I, I can confirm that to you uh, later on in, in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says what the gospel is. You can just mark that down and, and check that out later. And then it also says, the gospel is, what do you need to do about it? Okay, Jesus, okay, he was life, he did miracles, he did healings, okay. Uh, he, he died for no reason. He, he died uh, an innocent man, okay. He, 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 was, he was in a tomb for three days. He was buried, he rose again. Okay, I hear the message. Let's say I do believe it. Does it end right there? No, you need to do something about it. And so it's not only just knowing that it is what does man need to do that's also part of the gospel message. So let's read Acts chapter 3, verses 12 through 19. I forgot who last read. You did. I did? Okay, so Deborah, so go ahead. Peter saw it, he Thank mm-hmm. you. 
God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, and he was determined to let him go. But you denied the, the Holy One and the Trust, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And kill the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Again, this same content was said in different words by Peter on the day of Pentecost to them. You killed this guy. This guy was not just a guy. This guy was the Lord of glory. The prince of life, he uses the word. The holy one, the just one. Talks about how the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so that connects the covenants. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob glorified his servant. His servant was Jesus, the Christ. And his name, through faith in his name, had made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Deborah? Seventeen. And now, brethren, I want that. I know. What? Oh, okay. That's right. Go ahead. That through ignorance you did it, you did it, as did also your Lord. But those ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from all presence of the Lord uh, yeah go, go read verse 20 and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you I forgot to put that 20 is important because it's about repentance be converted that your sins may be blotted out, but it doesn't end there. That he may send who? Ooh. Ooh, I like that. I just saw that. I said, Ooh, I like that. He may send Jesus Christ. His spirit. The spirit of Christ. So as you can see, Peter knows that it was not under his own power that this man was healed. It was through faith in the name of Jesus that made him whole, furnished by the spirit. He then speaks of repenting. That's the blood component. And being converted to wipe out your sins. Well, we've studied enough to know when did that happen? When we were baptized. Remember, we call upon the name of the Lord in baptism, washing away our sins. That's what happened to Paul when we read his account. And the seasons of refreshing come from the face of the Lord. That's the baptism in the Spirit. So we see in John, excuse me, we see in chapter 4, 4 that the people that heard and believed the word totaled about now how many? He just healed the man. He just preached the gospel. He just told them what they needed to do. About 5,000 now. Is there any reason for us to think that they would not have done what he just told them they needed to do? Repent, blot away the sins. That's, that's, uh, he may send Jesus Christ. So the message of the gospel is preached so that men may hear 
and make a choice. He doesn't force it upon anyone. They need to choose for themselves to believe or not to believe. Here is life. Here is death. This is what happens when you walk in the death way. This is what happens when you walk in the way of life. It leads to eternal life. Choose this day whom you will I pray you choose life. And if you believe, there is a choice you must make. There is a response you must take. Do you obey the gospel or not? It's not merely about obedience. Oh, excuse me. It's not merely about believing. It's not merely about acknowledging that what I told you about the account of Jesus is true, but you've got to obey it. So will you be a hearer of the word? Will you be a doer of the word? The gospel demands a response, a very specific response as we read in just three chapters of Acts. You must become a doer of the word. Now, Peter and John were taken away at this point. So we see that they're not able to complete that follow-through work at this time. And so we're going to pause there as we take a walk through Acts for today. Amen. Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and were blessed, pass it along to a friend, an enemy, a co-worker, a stranger, by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you so desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus. That's paypal.me forward slash jbenjesus. God bless.